Boston University School of Law, recognized for excellence in legal education since 1872. It's the faculty. It's the students. It's the curriculum. It's the inspiration. Preparing students for the real-world practice of law today. Join host Dan Ray, BU Law alum and WBC 1030 radio host in Boston for this edition of the BU Law Podcast. Well, welcome on into this edition of the Boston University Law School Podcast. Uh, I am Dan Ray. I'm a proud graduate of Boston University Law School, an attorney here in the Boston area, and also a longtime broadcast journalist, both at WBZ TV and WBZ Radio. Worked in TV for about 31 years, less five days, but who was counting? And now uh, do my own radio talk show Monday through Friday nights on WBZ Radio 1030 in the middle of your dial called Nightside. With Dan Ray, and today on this edition of the BU Law School podcast, we're going to spotlight the practice of franchising. And joining me today is Morton Aronson. Mort is of counsel at the firm of Federal and Hassan, an LLP firm, uh, is in charge of its franchise practice. He focuses on domestic and international franchising and mediation, representing both franchisors and franchisees. He also focuses his practice on in the area of the hotel industry, Mr. Aronson is a graduate of Boston University, where he received both his A.B., his undergraduate degree, and his degree from Boston University Law School, where he received an LLB. He has taught franchise law for uh, some 18 years now at Emory Law School in Atlanta. I want to welcome Morton Aronson. Mort, welcome Good to, to be uh, here. Well, it's Boston, great to have I you. I have my roots are in Boston. Even well, though I'm I, in Atlanta now, I know that Atlanta is a great a great city as well. Mort, how did um how did franchising develop? This is something that uh, maybe a hundred years ago uh, wasn't on anyone's radar scope. Well, actually, franchising goes way back, but modern day franchising uh, didn't really start until the uh, the 1950s. The automobile industry provides the earliest lasting example of franchising in our economy. But it wasn't until the early 1950s that modern-day franchising started to take place with uh, companies like Holiday Inns, where I was general counselor for a number of years. McDonald's uh, started in the 1950s. Dunkin' Donuts started in the 1950s. Pizza Hut. So the 1950s was was the year that modern day franchising started, and it started in the United States, and it now has permeated the whole world. Well, let's let's just um, basically define franchising. I think I understand uh, what it means, but I'm sure there are folks out there. Let's get let's all get on the same page. What do you, how how do you define franchising? Well, you know, there's not one definition of franchising, but. Uh, essentially, there's two types of franchising. One type of franchising is what they call product franchising. You're selling a product, an automobile, for example, a single sewing machine. That's It used to be when franchising first started, you were selling products. But today, franchising is what they call a business format franchising, where not only are you selling a product like a hamburger or a, or a donut, but you've got a business process or a business technique in which you are selling selling that product. For example, when you go into a Wendy's or you go into a McDonald's, it's a different kind of experience when you're getting the hamburger. And basically, franchising comprises of three elements, a trademark or a logo, the use of a product or a service following a marketing plan, 
and the payment of a royalty fee. The franchisor is the one who owns the business and franchises the business, and and the person that gets the contract to run the business uh, is called the franchisee. And sometimes franchisors run their own units, and those are company called company-owned units. Right, and so um, this explains why the McDonald burger you get in San Diego or in Skowhegan, Maine, that looks and tastes uh, pretty close, if not identical. What are the key elements of successful franchising? Uh, well, in successful franchising, what you want to have is a product that has been tested and proven to be uh, worthwhile. Uh, for example, when Ray Kroc uh, started McDonald's. It was actually McDonald's Brothers. And he went to San Bernardino, California, and he saw this concept that they were selling these hamburgers and they were incredibly successful. And he had a vision that even exceeded his own, uh, the actual world exceeded his own vision by making it a worldwide successful concept. You need enough capital to promote it. You need a, a, an appropriate strategic plan to develop it. And most importantly, or one of the most essential elements, is having good relationships between the franchisor and the franchisee. I don't, probably the strongest franchisor in the world is McDonald's. And if McDonald's, and there was a time in the last 10 years when they weren't having such good relations with their franchisee, if franchisors don't have good relations with their franchisees. I don't care how wealthy they are. In the long run, they're not going to succeed. Let's. You, you mentioned Holiday Inn uh, earlier, and you you spend about twenty five years with right. the Holiday Inn hotel chain. Right. Um, how does your experience with the hotel industry? Uh, how has that shaped your career beyond that in franchising? Well, I I was working for. Uh, I consider it the most successful hotel chain in the world. It's certainly one of the most successful uh, hotel chains in the world. And uh, it, it gave me a worldwide exposure to franchising. And also, it's what we call a high-ticket item, because you don't become a franchisee of a hotel uh, chain unless you've got uh, significant capital. It's a lot easier to enter into subway a subway franchise than it than it is into any kind of a hotel franchise. So, so just for curiosity, what, what, just for curiosity, what, what is what would someone need in terms of working capital to become a uh, a franchisee of uh, a chain like Holiday Inn today? And I assume it probably is going to differ the size of the hotel and the location. Exactly right. Um, well, for, let me let me give you kind of a range. If you wanted to go into a subway franchise, uh, you could you could uh, you could become a subway franchisee for less than a uh, a million dollars in capital uh, ex, uh, investment. But if you're going to do even the the most limited kind of hotel, uh, a a, uh, a uh, like a Holiday Inn Express or uh, or, a, or even a, like a comfort in, you're talking a multi-million dollar project, and, and you're going to be able to have to show resources, multi-million dollar resources. So people that go into hotel franchises are usually um, uh, uh, millionaires 
or have access to multi-million dollars. The, the beauty of the less expensive franchises is it gives people with less economic resources a chance to uh, be uh, their, own, uh, their own entrepreneur. As Ray Kroc said, when you're in a franchise, you're in business for yourself, but not by yourself because you've got the support of the franchise chain. I just want to tell you that um, as as someone uh, uh, who traveled quite a bit as a television reporter, I remember working behind the Iron Curtain back in 1986, and we were in Poland for about 10 days, and we stayed right. at these uh, these really broken down, um, you know, <laughs> communist-style hotels until we got to Krakow, Poland, and we found a Holiday Inn. In, in, in the, <laughs> in, seriously. And it was yeah. – I have never been more happy – to see any any hotel in the world. I mean, showers that worked, yeah. beds that you could actually sleep in. Yeah. So if you had anything to do with the um, the placement of that Holiday Inn Hotel in Krakow, uh, Poland, I want to personally thank you. <laughs> Mord, what are some of the significant issues uh, in franchising today? Uh, well, there. I want to talk about two issues. One of them is... Um, is an issue that has been present uh, from the inception of franchising. Uh, and what franchisees call it encroachment, and franchisors call it system expansion. It's the same issue. A, any business, if it's going to grow, if it's going to succeed, it needs to expand. The problem is this. If you're a, uh, let's say you're a uh, Burger King franchisee, and Burger King puts another franchise, let's say you're making $200,000 a year profit, and Burger King puts another unit right across the street from you, and your profit margin goes down to 150000 Well, you've lost $50,000, but Burger King is making more money because they're going to get revenues from both of them. So franchisees call that encroachment because the franchisor is encroaching on their revenues and their profits, and the uh, franchisees call it encroachment, and the franchisor calls it system expansion, because if they're going to remain successful, they have to expand. And the challenge in franchising is, how can you expand without taking unfair advantage of the franchisee? The other major issue that I'm going to talk about is our economy. We're in a very, very difficult economic time now. And one of the big challenges in franchising is how are franchisees and franchisors, but in particular franchisees, when they want to do new franchise units, how are they going to get their money? It's much more difficult today to get the money from the banks than it used to be. Now, um there are issues on both sides of the equation. I think you've you've hit some of these issues uh, be, be, between what what's important maybe to a franchisor uh, and what is important to a franchisee. As as they say, there there probably are some things that they're they're both um, right on the same page over. They want to maintain consistency, quality of the product. Uh, that's in the interest of both the franchisor and the franchisee. Uh, but are one there of the greatnesses is- of franchising is consistent product quality. So right. even when you go to that hotel, that Holiday Inn in Procter and Krakow, Poland, uh, you're having a good experience. My son taught in, in Beijing, China, 
for three years, and when we went to visit him, we stayed at a Holiday Inn, and he said, Dad, why do you come all the way to China to stay at a Holiday Inn? I said, because we're touring around all day, Adam. His name is Adam. And when, at the end of the day, we want to be comfortable. I want to have that piece of steak that's going to be cooked properly, and, and so when I go in the Holiday Inn, I know it's done right. So that's what makes... Uh, franchising so successful, no matter where you go in the world, you look for that consistent product quality. Do you think that in the future, um, prospects for franchisors and franchisees uh, will eventually come back? Obviously, it's a difficult economic time, not a lot of money out there that's available. Uh, do you see better days ahead for franchising? Well, actually, franchising is is very viable now. Uh, it, it is particularly viable because um a lot of a lot of executives uh, are losing their positions and when they lose their positions they uh they use, they many times will get a severance uh package and they can't find an executive job so what many of them will do is they'll go in and become a franchisee and they'll become their own entrepreneurs so even though it's difficult to get money now franchising is is quite vital in these economic times and also, we're seeing, as I mentioned, my experience in Krakow, Poland, uh, we're seeing American companies. I know McDonald's are opening in China, for example. I, I spoke with someone um, yesterday in China who was talking about how popular some of the uh, the fast food American restaurants are becoming in China, of, of all places. Um, is domestic franchising different uh, than international franchising, or basically is the same formula work in both sets of circumstances? No, you know, any franchisor that says they're going to duplicate their concept uh, 100% in international franchising is not going to be successful. The basic concept is the same, but what you need to do is fine-tune your concept to the particular country you're in uh, so you meet the needs of that community. And when you go into different parts of the world, you will find in the McDonald's, you will find in the in the uh, Dunkin' Donuts, you will find in the Burger Kings, you will find special items on the menu that are particular to that country. You will also find a style of business that is indigenous to that country. But one of the things that is so terrific is that there's a comfort level in the franchise. We are a Today the world is the world is small, and people travel all over the world. They're no longer local. So when you're from Boston, Massachusetts, and you go into Krakow, Poland, and you see that McDonald's, and you walk in there and you get that that Big Mac, it's a comfortable feeling to sit down and have that Big Mac in Krakow, Poland. Don't you think so, Dan? Well, I didn't go to McDonald's, but I'll tell you that Holiday Inn sign was just amazing. Uh, and uh, <laughs> well, that after, the cockles in my heart when you say yeah, that. It, well, trust me, I, I don't know if you had anything to do with it. Uh, one quick question here before the break: uh, with international franchising uh, you're coming along, I'm sure that's uh, we're going to have more and more, not only in places like China uh, and maybe uh, Eastern Europe and, and Western Europe, but I'm I'm sure that Asia and and Africa in uh, in places that that have never had a McDonald's at some point or a holiday and will have it. Um, foreign language, uh, the, the challenge of the language barrier has to exist. Um, how important is it for people who are thinking about franchising themselves first becoming multilingual? Well, uh, 
most people won't take the time to become multilingual. I'm kind of strange because I am multilingual, and it has proven out. If we have time, maybe after the break, I'll give you a story about that. But if you are, you need to make sure that when you open uh, a uh, a franchise unit in a foreign country, that you have somebody who is an employee of yours who is fluent in the language of that country and understands the language of the country. If we have time, I can give you an example. Do we have another minute or we do yeah, not? Yeah, sure. Go, I'd, rather, I'd rather how you tell the story now, then we'll take the break. Okay. Um, I'm fairly fluent in Spanish because when Holidayans moved into uh, uh, Mexico and South America, I was heavily involved and my company gave me private lessons in Spanish. Uh, I was negotiating a, a Holiday Inn project in Guadalajara, Mexico, and the lawyer for the company uh, had gone and gotten a master's at uh, uh, Harvard Law School in Boston, so I didn't have to bother speaking Spanish with him. And uh, we were negotiating the contract in English, and all of a sudden, the 75-year owner of the company walked in. He spoke three or four words in English, hello, goodbye, and thank you. And out of respect, of course, his lawyer immediately started to speak in Spanish. Well, fortunately, I was able to continue the negotiations in Spanish, and we concluded them very expeditiously. And the lawyer told me afterwards that his owner was so pleased that I spoke Spanish that he told him to move ahead the negotiations expeditiously. And I've had many experiences like that, where by speaking the language of a country, uh, it, it has helped me enormously in successful negotiations. Well, we will, um, Mort Aronson, we will take this uh, break right now. When we return, we'll be talking more with attorney Mort Aronson. Uh, he's based in Atlanta about franchising uh, its uh, development and, most importantly, its future. Located in Boston and steeped in 138 years of rich tradition, BU Law is number one in teaching quality, according to Leiter Law School rankings, and number three in the nation for best professors, according to Princeton Review. BU Law. Admitting students regardless of race, religion, or gender since 1872 and training them to become leaders in the law. Visit the website and see for yourself at www.bu.edu forward slash law. Now back to the BU Law Podcast with host Dan Ray, a lawyer, a veteran Boston broadcast journalist, and BU Law alum. And welcome back to this edition of the Boston University School of Law podcast. I'm Dan Ray. My guest today is Mort Aronson. He's of counsel at the firm of Federal and Hassan LLP in Atlanta, Georgia. And he is in charge of that firm's franchise practice. But most importantly for us, he is a, a alumnus of Boston University School of Law. And we've been talking about franchising. So uh, let's get right back to it. We have a few minutes left. When should a business, as it develops, uh, begin to look towards franchising is there a, a specific you know level of properties that uh, that you can identify which allows a business to say hey you know what we now can start to franchise ourselves well you know it depends on the individual it depends on the focus it depends on what what the business is looking for if you have a successful tried concept 
and that you think that you would like to expand, and you've proven it to be successful, but you have limited financial resources, and it's somewhat, and it's, I'll give you, and I'll give you a concrete example of a concept that I'm aware of that you guys in Boston are probably not aware of, and I bet you will become aware of it in the next year or so. Uh, and you want to expand it, and you have limited resources, uh, and you've got a good marketing plan, and, and you've got an adequate capital to move it ahead, but you want to use other people's money to have rapid expansion, uh, then you may want to consider franchising because it gives you other people's money with a successful concept. Now, here in, in, in the South, there's a fast food concept called Moe's Southwest Grill. Right now, they have uh, about three years ago, they had about 150 units. Now, they're up to about 400 units. My prediction is they're going to move into New England in the next year or two. It's a very good concept. They want to have private investment and a very it's it's kind of a unique uh food concept and they're going to they're going to move it and advance it with franchisee investment and that's the and you don't just have to do it i mean you could look at uh, for example the success of uh the uh the tax uh, services that have moved ahead through uh franchising look at the real estate uh, various real estate companies like uh, century 21 that moved ahead through franchising. Well, do you, do you think, you know, we mentioned earlier difficult economic times. Uh, do you think franchising might be one of the paths to a better economic set of circumstances for, for all of us? Absolutely. Let me, let me be very specific as to why I say that. Because when a person, let's say Dan Ray decides he wants, what kind of, what do you, what kind of franchise do you like, Dan? What, what, what turns you on? Anything. What name? Name any kind of franchise you've been exposed to that you like. Well, you know, for, for me, it would be professional sports, uh, but but okay. no one's going to franchise. Right. No one's going right. to franchise Let's that. Assume, well, because that's a unique kind of <laughs> that, franchise. Right, precisely. And, no. and of course, I'm a great I'm a great great lover of the Red Sox and and the Patriots. But let's assume that you were going to open up a franchise sports store, and you were going to sell sporting goods. Uh, throughout uh, the United States. Um, what you will do is not only open one store, because the key to success is what they call multi-unit franchising. To own not one, but five, 10, 20, 30, 50. There are people that own 100 units. So what you're going to do is you're going to have a lot of employees working for you. So the, the beauty of franchising is you're not just working yourself, you're getting other people to work for you, and you're opening businesses all over the place. And a really successful franchisee not only hires people to work for him, but encourages employees of his, the really good ones, to become franchisees, so they open stores. So it creates a lot of jobs. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, Moe's Southwest Grills. Uh, I was exposed to a, a, a business called Firehouse Subs, which I think actually is a South 
uh, southeastern U.S. property, and and I'm I'm looking to see when that uh, when, when that product uh, begins to uh, encroach into New England, because I think that um, I was I ate one Let's of those. Let's use the word expand, not a expand. Okay, expand fair enough. We'll use a okay. we'll use a better we'll use a better word. The other thing the other thing which I always and I think I missed the boat on this. I was traveling in Ireland about I don't know this must be thirty years ago working in television, and you'd go in the back roads into the small towns of Ireland, and you could never find a place to get a cup of coffee uh, or a donut. Uh, I don't know if Dr. Right, let me tell is- you a funny story. I was in yeah. Israel last year, and I was in a uh, community. They were giving me a tour to show uh, how their irrigation works, and I was in the desert in in Israel, in one in kind of a esoteric area in Israel, and I'm trudging along with a group of a dozen of us or representatives from different parts of the United States, and I'm walking along, and there I see a Dunkin' Donuts in the desert. A Dunkin' Donuts. I couldn't believe it. A Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, and, of course, Dunkin' Donuts is probably the most famous franchise law that was developed in Massachusetts, in Quincy, Massachusetts, by a uh, gentleman by the name he's no longer alive, Bill Rosenberg, may he rest in peace, great man, wonderful man, and of course, Dunkin' Donuts is one of the great franchisors of the world. It is. I'm trying to. I'm, there was a Southern donut chain that tried to impact here or uh, tried to expand into Mass. Krispy Kreme. Yes. And and everyone was anticipating Krispy Kreme, and and we were told these are the most fabulous donuts you would. And Krispy Kreme bombed right. in New England, and I also think they've had problems uh, across the country. But there was an example of an unsuccessful uh, franchise effort, as far as I could tell. Uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily call it unsuccessful. I would say it was not as successful as they anticipated. But the number one uh, donut franchise in the world, by far, is Dunkin' Donuts. And it's it's an incredibly wonderful company. Uh, in fact, the founder of Dunkin' Donuts, uh, Bill Rosenberg, created the strongest uh, world franchise organization called the International Franchise Association about 40 years ago, 45 years ago. And he was a great leader in the field of franchising. And I had I knew him personally, and I had dinner with him one night, and he said, Mort, he said, you learn more from adversity in life than you do from success. This was a man who was, he was when he was 70 years old, they gave him six months to live because of his medical issues, one of them being cancer. And he lived till the age of 89. And between 70 and 89, he did an enormous amount of wonderful philanthropic works. I never forgot that. You learn more from adversity in life than you do from success. Well, maybe that'll help our New England Patriots next year get back to the Super Bowl. Mort Aronson, thank you very, very much. Uh, if folks uh, who are listening to this podcast would like to get in touch with you, what's the easiest way for them to um, to make I contact with you? I think probably the easiest way is my email address, Morton Aronson, M-O-R-T-O-N-A-R-O-N-S-O-N at yahoo.com. Well, thank you so much. Uh, you're, you're a very interesting guest today. I hope that our audience enjoyed um, this uh, as much as I did. Um, very interesting and uh, allowed me to recall to mind a couple of stories. So thanks very much for being uh, on Legal Talk Network. 
Thank you. It's a great pleasure for me to be talking to a Boston community. Okay. You're, well, you'll be talking to more than that. You'll be, uh, you'll be on the web with this one. That's wonderful. But you can take <laughs> the boy out of Boston, but you never take Boston <laughs> out of the boy. Take care um, of yourself. All right. Thank you very much, Mort. So, Bye-bye. Uh, we want to thank um, Morton Aronson. Uh, he uh, he teaches law at Emory on franchising. And if you have any questions about that issue, I think that you know that you can can contact him at mortonaronson at yahoo.com. Uh, for now, this is uh, Dan Ray of the Legal Talk Network, and Boston University Law School, and of course, WBZ Radio right here in Boston, uh, bidding you a wonderful day, whether you're a franchisee or not. Uh, have a great day, and we will see you next time right here on the Legal Talk Network. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the BU Law Podcast with host Dan Ray. Check out what else is happening on campus at bu.edu forward slash law.